So always laugh at yourself. I go down to jump and you realize it's going to be a biff. I start laughing. And I want everybody else to chuckle like, oh, he knew he was going to biff, so what? He owned it and kept on going. And I think if that would help the sport become more positive. Hmm. Everyone's trying to hide away from their errors instead of just face up to them and go on. For yeah. sure. Attitude is everything. And if you're out there looking like you're trying and you're having fun, people root for you. Not just the judges, but everyone everyone around will be rooting for you. And it's just a nice feeling. It's There's another horse show next week. Mm -hmm. And you're allowed to make a mistake. And especially you're a kid, you're an adult, you're allowed to make a mistake. It's going to happen. I think everyone that competes should realize that everyone else has already made that mistake you're about to make mm -hmm. or you just made. You're not the only one. You might be the only one for that moment that made that mistake, but we've all done it before, and somebody's going to do it again. So, chuckle and move on. Welcome to Practical Horseman's Podcast, a show featuring conversations with respected riders, industry leaders, and horse care experts. The show, which runs every other week, is co-hosted by Practical Horseman editors, and our goal is to inform, educate, and inspire. I'm Jocelyn Pierce, and this week's episode is with husband and wife team Carlton and Tracy Brooks. Carlton and Tracy have a lifetime of experience with horses, an extensive teaching and training background, and are known for their ability to match horses and riders to produce results. They run their successful hunter-jumper equitation business, Balmoral Farm, which they operate in two California locations, Malibu and West Los Angeles. This unique setup allows them to provide their horses with plenty of healthy open space while also being accessible to their diverse clientele, which ranges from short stirrup to adults and high performance. They shuttle horses back and forth between barns almost daily to be sure everyone enjoys plenty of turnout and trail riding. Carlton and Tracy have coached riders and trained horses to a long list of wins, including many indoors championships and Horse of the Year awards. Carlton is also a popular clinician and a U.S. Equestrian Federation R judge. I caught up with Carlton and Tracy at the Washington International Horse Show in late October. They both fell in love with horses at a young age and knew from the get-go that they wanted to pursue a career that involved horses. They're committed to being not just trainers and coaches, but dedicated horse people. While they clearly take their job seriously, they certainly know how to have fun and keep things light. They kept me laughing throughout our chat, and at one point, Carlton even got up to demonstrate his best attempt at the floss dance. During the conversation, we discussed a wide range of topics, including the importance of treating horses as individuals, their recipe for consistent success, and what underlies it all, their love of the horse. But first, I want to thank this episode's sponsor, Absorbing, makers of Shoshin. You can always rely on Shoshin Original Hair Polish and Detangler to help make grooming a cinch. Use the world's number one detangler and grooming aid to condition and bring out a healthy shine in your horse. Brought to you by Absorbing, Shoshin is also proven to eliminate tangles and reduce breakage by 40%. Check out their website at Absorbing.com. That's A-B-S-O-R-B-I-N-E.com. Now let's jump right into the episode as Carlton and Tracy each share how they got involved in the sport. I started riding as a little kid. Our family was, we were not a horse family. I went to day camp and I was probably five years old and I was just always an animal person. I always loved any, any animal that I saw. And even before that, my grandfather used to go to the racetrack and he would pick me up as a little kid. He would tell my parents he was coming to get me and he would take me to the racetrack and he would take me in the back and he would pet the horses. So I love the horses. 
And then I ended up going to day camp. I was like five years old and they had a parent's day at the day camp. And my parents came and they said that the kids were going to ride. And my parents thought I was going to be like led around on a little pony. And I guess I came out on some giant horse trotting around by myself. <laughs> and my mom was in a panic. But I just loved it from that day and just kept doing it. And my parents didn't know what they were doing. And they tried to navigate and they just let me have riding lessons. And then I got my first pony and it just went from there. So when I was eight years old, our family moved to a 140-acre farm. And out the back driveway through the cornfields was uh, a stable a mile away. Big showgrounds and stable. And my brother and sister went and took riding lessons. And I was home playing with my wagon. And after about the third day, I decided to go with them. And I instantly fell in love with it and wanted to be a horse trainer from that day forward. And at what point did riding kind of become something serious for you guys where you thought maybe let's let's make this into a, a business? I think I was always serious about it. I always knew that it it was a passion and it never felt like work and it was something that I always wanted to do since I started. Oh, from the first few days I wanted to do it and thought I could make a decent living and try to be successful at it, and I love the challenges of it. Challenge is inspiring. And um, who, who were some of your mentors early on, and what did you learn from them? Uh, my mentors were, I read all the chronicles of the horse of that day, and read about Rodney Jenkins, Bernie Traurig, and you know, how come they were so famous, read a lot of Practical Horseman magazines, <laughs> and it used to be called Pennsylvania Horse, mm -hmm. maybe? Yep. So I saved every issue and read about Junie Culp and Eddie Bywaters and Kenny Wheeler, and I studied everything. It was my Bible. That was how I educated myself. And then I was fortunate to have a few people hire me in California when I moved out there in 1976. And then Butch and Lou Thomas offered me a job, and that was probably a turning point. We broke 60 daily racehorses a year, showed in the Grand Prix. I had done some of that before, but this was the real deal. All, all the people who, who taught me anything were my mentors. Like I, w I was just trying to absorb knowledge. I was like a little sponge, and I would follow people around, and my trainers as a kid, and including Laddie and Hazy, and... A lot of other people growing up in Ohio. Um, Randy Lucart, an amazing horseshoer from Ohio. Um, he t he's taught us both a lot about shoeing and about just mechanics of the horse, just any sort of knowledge that we could absorb when we were doing it. And back then, too, there was no internet. So you were waiting at the mailbox on Monday for the Chronicle <laughs> to come, and you were trying to just watch and learn. Now you can just YouTube everything. So it's a little, a little different. I have to say all the professionals in the industry have taught me something. Blacksmiths, veterinarians. I was fortunate to have Dr. John Steele take me under his wing. One of the best veterinarians there's ever been. Uh, some phenomenal barriers. And other professionals have stepped up and just, I don't know why they chose me to be guide me, but I've been very fortunate. What, what do you think makes a good horseman? I think about that one. <laughs> I think uh, 
a good horseman in any discipline, breed or breed or anything, they become the horse. They see it through the horse's eyes. They sense it. Uh, they have a lot of emotion, sensitivity, reaction, uh, understand how a horse thinks, breathes, and reacts, and it is a flight animal. And they, I feel horses are extremely intelligent, but I think you have to start out on a lower level and work yourself back up. And I think the great horsemen lower themselves to whatever level the horse is at that time and bring the horse back up to where they need to be, together as a team. That's what, and then the care of a horse is obviously the utmost important. And I think treating the horses as individuals and not having sort of a cookie cutter method for every horse and trying to really feel that horse and understand what that horse is trying to tell you and just sort of taking a moment to just have the, have the compassion and, and put yourself in that horse's place and try to see things through that horse's eyes and how it feels and how it responds and what it needs. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's sometimes hard because everything is so fast-paced now that it's hard to just sort of take a step slow back. Yourself. And you have to slow yourself down. Yeah. Can you guys think about a time where you had a really difficult training challenge with a horse and what it was and kind of how you overcame it? Every day, right? <laughs> Every horse teaches you something if you allow it to. The biggest training challenge is... I think has always been to allow the horse to let you learn about them and then take that and be productive into what your goal is. I think horses need to know what they're supposed to achieve before they can learn how to do it. I think a lot of people start at the beginning and hope to get somewhere. If you can somehow introduce the horse to what he's supposed to achieve, I think the learning process and the training process works much better. A lot of it, I think, is trial and error, too. If something doesn't work, change it. Do something different. Try something different every day. Just keep, yeah, and just keep keep changing it until you find at least that you're on the right path. It might not be what you need to do, but it's it's at least trying to be creative. Like, you'll hear him say a lot, think out of the box mm -hmm. and just, just do things. Don't just try to make it like every other horse or do what everyone else is doing. It's just, it's got to be unique every situation is unique and what what I think Carlton's so good at and I feel like I'm not as he retains a lot from from everything from from horses that we've had or books mm -hmm. that he's read and he'll say what about this and I'll say oh yeah I forgot about that like he's really good about remembering all the things mm -hmm. and he has that encyclopedia in his brain and sort of can flip through it which is helpful yeah. a lot I think I read somewhere too that do you you write down a lot of things you keep you keep a, a journal and keep a lot of notes. <laughs> a lot of notes. <laughs> Carlton's pulling out his notepad <laughs> as we speak. Hundreds of books. <laughs> yeah. Hundreds of books. And he know what he knows what note is in what book. He'll say, pull out the blue book from last year, and like halfway through there'll be this note. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a date in every one at the beginning. So are you keeping notes on like how, how your horse felt that day or what sort of things you? Things, I keep notes on things I learned. I have, uh, this is a new one that started on the 10th of October actually. And it has less than any others. But uh, I will have schooled this horse this way. 
uh, before indoors next year. I will have, remember to do this, uh, rebalance that horse's heel. Uh, everyone, I'll talk a little bit about horses and horsemanship. Everyone feels a horse has to be shot on a schedule. I believe each foot has to be shot on, on when it needs to be shot. Mm. And it takes a lot of uh, trust from your farrier to actually do that. Those type of things, I think, separate a horseman from a so-called trainer. Mm. Uh, you're putting your, they're athletes. They're work athletes. So they have to, if you crush one insole in your boot, you're going to buy new insoles. You're not going to wait till you crush them both. That type of, and I guess that might not be an analogy, but. No, it's a great, yeah, it's a great point. And um, Carlton, you, I mean, obviously you're a competitor and rider and trainer and coach and clinician and a judge. Is there is there one particular calling that you enjoy the most and why? Uh, the thing I enjoy most, most about the horse industry is watching the process of a horse develop, mm -hmm. by far. These days, uh, developing a horse, developing a rider, developing the combination of horse and rider, which Tracy's phenomenal at. Tracy's phenomenal at matching a horse and rider. Unbelievable. Uh, but then she'll say, this is what this needs to do, and it may be for 18 months. And I really enjoy horses that have gotten off the path a little bit, either how they're maybe shod or whatever. People send us new horses, and I enjoy improving their performance and their well-being. That, to me, is the ultimate challenge. That's what I really enjoy. And for me, it's similar, but it's more about the people. Mm -hmm. And like, I, I think it's really great and really exciting to, to meet a little kid or someone new who has talent, and you see that talent in them that most of the time they don't even know that they have. They just know that they love horses. And we can see and we can fast-forward that movie two, three, five years, and we can know that if that kid sticks with the program, they can do whatever they want to do, and they're going to be successful, and they're going to ride, be an amazing rider with a great education. And it's just it's fun for me to see like a little eight-year-old with supportive parents and go, okay, like if, if you stick with it, you're going to do the whole thing as much as you want. And that part of the process I, I really enjoy. Yeah, I mean, you guys are definitely known for taking beginners all the way up to national championships over and over and over. I mean, kind of what's what's your secret? How do you how do you do that so consistently? Positivity. Yeah, a lot of it is positivity with the horses and the people, and just just being patient. I think being patient is a huge part of it because you know the, the parents start getting excited and will say, "Well, my child won last week, but she didn't win this week. Why is she not doing so well?" Mm -hmm. And I think just instilling in everyone that it's a process and it's people and it's horses and there are so many variables that you just have to, if you're, if you're more oriented with results than process, you're going to be disappointed. And that's why we just have to sometimes say to the parents, just, just wait, you'll see. We've, we've seen this movie a lot of times and we know how it goes and there are ups and downs, but we're, we're on the right track. And basically everyone's path is different, people and horses. So everyone does things in their own time, but if you have raw talent, you're going to get to the end where you want to be. That's what we do. We treat each person as an individual. Yeah. yeah. Just like and the horses. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So we just try to, we try to make it work for the people and the horses, whatever it may be.
Ms. Carlton mentioned you guys are both known to be good at matching the right horse with the right rider. Do you have any kind of system for that, or is it kind of more of a gut feeling that you go off of? Well, you sort of you sort of have your your checklist of what you know you want going into it on paper, but we definitely rely on on our shared experience, and we talk about it a lot. But if we're not together, we trust each other a hundred thousand percent. Like we don't have we don't we both don't have to sign off on the horse. Um, a lot of it is gut. A lot of it is gut. Like I can tell if a person canters down to the first jump on that horse if it's going to be a match or not. What's um What's something that you work on quite a bit with students, or kind of some of the common mistakes that you see? We do a lot of visualization. Positive visualization. Po yes, positive visualization for sure. Um, sitting down and just we we tell people that it, uh, a lot because we have people who don't live near us. You can take a lot of riding lessons in your head. You don't have to actually be sitting on the horse to feel it. So we do a lot with that. Um, we do a lot. A lot of it for us is about attitude and just positivity in general. Um, we work on a lot of letting the kids gallop to the jump and, and making them comfortable with galloping to the jump. I hear so many people comment now, like more of the people who are, you know, grew up when we did, saying that nobody, nobody canters to the jumps anymore. All the kids are just pulling on the reins and crawling spurring. around the course and pulling and spurring. And so we try to, we try to let everybody develop their unique feel of, of how to get to the jumps, but in a positive way and, and forward. That's a big thing for us, I think, forward. is forward. And we do a lot of forward and straight. We're not um, big on like, bending and I mean yes you know we're, we'll do the flat work but we we think forward and straight are sort of the cornerstones to everything come forward straight and square gospel words come forward straight and square and um, kind of beyond the visualization what what are some exercises you like to do or do you have a favorite training exercise you could share do the floss. <laughs> <laughs> That'll burn some calories. <laughs> yeah. It depends on the level. It depends on the level of kids. Um, at home, we don't we don't jump very high. Like as oh. far as when we train, we do a lot of more technical exercises with lower jumps, but not so technical that we're teaching the kids to low. pull on the reins too much. And not too low. And not uh, yeah. A challenging exercise. Challenging, yeah. You have to think to do the exercise. It's always a thinking game, and you have to look at what you want to achieve back to where you're going to start. And those exercises, we set up that way. And uh, their warm-up or their flat work for that exercise, when they know what they're going to make an effort to achieve in that exercise, that day's warm-up is geared to that. Just like if you know what your course is before you warm up in the ring, before you warm up for your class, you prepare for that. I have a huge pet peeve, and I think it's a waste of a client's money that the trainer will go out in the schooling ring and or the preparation ring and prepare them for that class, then walk up and not have a clue what the course or, in a better term, the test is. So they were preparing for a test, but they didn't know what the test was about. And I think that's a huge mistake in our industry today. As a judge, Carlton, what advice would you give to, to riders? As a judge, the advice I would give to riders is quality is important, 
how you present yourself is huge on and off the horse. We stand in the concession food line. We watch you at other horse shows. We, we judge you. It's a, it's a, a subjective thing that we're doing, judging, and subconsciously we remember you from three months before when you yanked that horse in the mouth and spurred it because you lost your temper. We remember when the horse had a little difficulty and you handled it masterfully and then rewarded the horse when he, he produced something better. Every judge remembers that. And people do not remember, realize that it carries over for years. Every judge that judges you will judge you again, odds are, in your riding career. How you present yourself the first time and how you present your horse will carry over to the next time. Being a subjective division, 100 divisions, and equitation divisions, how you present yourself with your attitude will carry over for the rest of your career. Positive, compassionate uh, is extremely important. Own your mistakes. Laugh at yourself. We'll laugh with you instead of at you. If you don't laugh, people laugh at you. That's huge. I learned that the hard way. So always laugh at yourself. I go down to jump and realize it's going to be a biff. I start laughing. And I want everybody else to chuckle like, oh, he knew he was going to biff, so what? He owned it and kept on going. And I think if that would help the sport become more positive. Everyone's trying to hide away from their errors instead of just face up to them and go on. For yeah. sure. Attitude is everything. And if you're out there looking like you're trying and you're having fun, people root for you. Not just the judges, but everyone everyone around will be rooting for you. And it's just a nice feeling. It's There's another horse show next week. Mm -hmm. And you're allowed to make a mistake. And especially you're a kid, you're an adult, you're allowed to make a mistake. It's going to happen. I think everyone that competes should realize that everyone else has already made that mistake you're about to make mm -hmm. or you just made. You're not the only one. You might be the only one for that moment that made that mistake, but we've all done it before, and somebody's going to do it again. So chuckle and move on. It's not for lack of trying. Everybody's trying. Yeah. Nobody's trying to mess up. So that's what that's how we treat our people when they come out of the ring. You know, they're, they're really down on themselves. They're really hard on themselves and said, I shouldn't have done that. That was so stupid. It's like, well, you weren't trying to make a mistake, but now you know, and you can't fix it until it happens, and now we'll fix it. That's sort of how we operate. Something my father and mother instilled in me was always learn from your mistakes. Does it just make an effort not to make it twice in a row? Might make a different mistake. And you will make the same mistake again. But if you set your standards high enough not to make the same mistake twice in a row, usually you can get past it. It does seem like this sport has it's a very perfectionist community. Why do you think that is? It's, it's, it's a beauty, the whole flow of the sport and judging. It's the picture. You're making the best movie or TV show you possibly can. But you, everyone should realize as they are competing, they're only making a movie or a TV show for two people that are judging, one or two people that are judging. The rest of the people really don't count as much as those two people. And I think the sport draws high achievers. It draws people who who really are up to the challenge. So they don't want to lose. Nobody wants to lose. And it's the same thing I say to our people all the time. Some of the kids, does your dad play golf? And they'll say yes. And they'll say, well, go home and ask him how many days in a row he gets a hole in one. 
right? Because it's that's why we keep coming back. Because mm-hmm. there's that there's that you know when you hit the tennis ball or you hit the golf ball or you hit the baseball, there's that sweet spot, and you know when you've just hit a home run. It's the same thing with your horse, but if it happened every day, it wouldn't be that exciting. It's true. Yeah. I mean, you guys have both had, you know, a ton of competitive success, both yourselves and with your students. Is there, is there any particular success that stands out above the rest? I think all of them. Even a success for us is a scared little kid who's doing short stirrup for the first time and that's out of her comfort zone. You know, I mean, any, any, any progress is a success. It could be being champion at indoors, but that's, that's a different kid. Mm -hmm. So we sort of, again, individualize it, but they're all, they're all big milestones Mm -hmm. for us. We, we appreciate all of them. I think when a a student or customer walks away positive about themselves is a success. Some won't ever be grand champion of the Washington International Horse Show and but if they grow up to be great individuals and great adults, I think we've done our job. And some of them won't even show. I mean, we have some people who just love their horses and they want to feel comfortable and safe, and that's what they're doing, and that's a success too. It's about it's about loving the horse, and it's about being able to do this, and we're all so fortunate to be able to do it. You can do it on any level you want, and as long as you feel safe and you're taking good care of your horse and your horse is taking good care of you and we've been able to help with that, that's a success yeah. for sure. What's the hardest part of the sport for you? It's not an easy, it's not an easy lifestyle. Yeah. It's, it's 25 hours a day, eight days a week. And sometimes you just wish the horses could talk. And sometimes you wish you could do it for someone. The horses do talk. Well, the horses do talk, but sometimes we don't listen. Well, we to. should be better we, listeners. We, 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 we. <laughs> no, it's just, it's, it's hard. And, and sometimes, too, just managing expectations is hard. And just, again, having people embrace the process and just be patient, not just with themselves, but with their horse, with us. And just knowing that everybody's trying their hardest, the horse is trying their hardest, and we're all in this together, and we all want the same goal, that some of those days get trying if we, if we have a rough day. I think that uh, selling this activity as a competition activity, but also it's one of the best ways to learn life's lessons. Dealing with an animal that can't verbally speak and doesn't visualize things the same as us and teaching or allowing people to learn to deal with that type of thing and helps them in all walks of life later on. Makes us very proud to see so many former students or clients go on and achieve huge things like the Peace Corps, uh, struggle with the, a foundation to donate hearts to people and run corporations. I mean, we have students that are running corporations and raising great families and juggling two careers because the horse business, the horse show industry, taught them how to deal with things, missing airplanes, not having a hotel when you get there at one o'clock in the morning, having a schedule, having to be in three rings at the same time, cope, deal with it, handle it. The, that doesn't happen in everyday life anymore. And I think the value 
to a lot of families, if they would see it, is that. Mm -hmm. Helps people learn further on in their life. It's not just they need a college education because they have to deal with common sense and under the gun all the time when you're competing. And I think that's very important. And I think a lot of prospective clientele miss the benefits that they are offered from this investor. Yeah, they're focused so much on the competition side of thing and not what they're actually. They don't see whatever. The whole but, yeah. experience. It's okay if your whole... kid gets eighth all the time. If she's learning how to show, show up, they wrote at 11 o'clock last night. They were here at 530 mm -hmm. in the morning. Kids don't do that today. Yeah. Well, it's like with anything, showing up is half the battle. Mm -hmm. So you got to just keep showing up. It might not always be easy. And also pivoting and kind of just... Sometimes you just have to go to plan B and you make a split-second decision that you have to make about the horse or the rider or the rider has to make it on the horse. That kind of stuff is huge. And just trusting your gut and going with that decision is huge. Learning how to lose is huge. Oh, no. We know. You can learn how to lose, but you don't want to like it. Well, you don't want to stay there. You're not going to stay there, but you... You can be a good winner, but you also have to be a gracious loser, and, no, and that's, that's a life lesson, too, for sure. Bounce back from losing. Yeah, and, and just dealing with adversity. I mean, you go out there and you chip. Who cares? You go out there and you fall off. Who cares? We do. It's, well, <laughs> we care. But it's, it's just knowing it's not everything's going to be perfect and saying, okay, what am I going to do to make it better? Or it'll be better next time, and you just you keep pushing through, and that's, that's a huge part of it, especially for the kids. Why do you think you guys have been so successful? What about your personalities or qualities Tracy. that you have? It's all Tracy. <laughs> yeah. It's all Tracy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. So true. I think uh, we're candid and honest with people, their expectations. Uh, we listen to what they really want to achieve. Sometimes they, they'll talk in circles and don't even realize what they're really telling us they want to accomplish. Uh, I think you have to allow people to express themselves to you, and our occupation is producing that for them. And each person has different expectations. I think Tracy's extremely good at that. I think just he, like what Carlton was saying, just hearing people and sometimes hearing what they don't say a little bit, mm -hmm. and just knowing what this is for each person. And for some people, it's just they they love it and they just enjoy doing it. Other people are more about results and just just sort of giving giving everyone what they need, knowing how different people learn differently too. A lot of people are visual learners. Some people want to explain and explain and explain every day the same. Most people want a routine. We know that. And we try to give people the whole picture too. And we tell them sometimes things that they don't want to hear. But we try to keep them involved and be honest about everything. And in the end, that pays off. And we develop a relationship and a trust. And that goes really far on both ends. What kind of uh, advice would you give to your younger self? I chose to be self-taught in education and business and learn the hard way a little bit. I think anyone that has an opportunity to get an education should get the education. But for practical education, business, uh, you know, how to do finances, how to get loans, that type of thing. Uh, riding, riders as a professional are uh, 
There's a lot of them. But you can only be a great writer if you have a pyramid of a team underneath you. And there's a lot of job security in being part of that pyramid. So, and I think anyone that has become the top of the pyramid has had to really dig in through the bottom. Or they end up catching up and it catches them eventually. And that's, that's one of the things that's a huge, the main part probably of, of any success that we've had is we have an amazing team. From all the guys who take care of the horses to all, all the people who help get them ready and the girls who work with us, everyone who works with us, the shoers, the vets, everyone is a huge part of it. Huge. And, and we really appreciate them and I think they know that and they're willing to go the extra mile and they're really invested which is huge for us. Mm -hmm. And, and that's the thing. It's, it's, they could work anywhere, but they want to work here. And, and we really appreciate that. And we know there might be easier places to work because we work really long hours, but we're all, we're all sort of in it together. And the feeling of doing it as a team really like drives everyone to keep showing up and work together and keep going. And that's, and I think everyone, everyone feels that the horses feel it, I think, and the riders feel it. And, Everybody's pulling for each other, and we all do everything. And that's one of the things we say when when new people come on board with us is there's no specific job description. We all do everything. Mm -hmm. Like we were out there this morning and rolling polar wraps and doing all you know, tacking up the horses. Yeah, I mean it's there's you. No one ever says this is not my job. Nothing ever. is beneath us. No, no, and everybody jumps in. And if that's not your mo, that's fine. But you're not going to fit. Yes. So how it works and, and it works for us it might not be that way it might not work for everyone but it works for us do you guys have any non-horsey hobbies do you have time for any non-horsey hobbies what do you what do you enjoy outside of horses well yes wine drinking <laughs> um we i guess real estate is a hobby of ours we we like um we have some properties that we like to we like to do projects there and fix up you know like buy a house and gut the house and make it nice and pretty and so we do that and those are like our horses that's like our, our stable of, of houses that we we fix up um we travel a little bit when we can but there's not a lot of time two weeks a year two weeks a year and we try to do a big trip like at least every other year mm -hmm. do a fun big trip um yes wine is a hobby for sure for me he drives me around I drink them. That's the perfect combination. <laughs> I like to have one horse that's a project. And I enjoy watching her be happy. That's my hobby. Oh. Believe it or not, that's really <laughs> a big part of my life. Uh, just one more question that I, I probably should have asked earlier, but how did you guys meet? Do you mind sharing that? <laughs> Whose side of the story do you want? <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. So we're at the old Indio Horse Show. Actually, uh, I was in Ohio laying over, and everyone asked me if I knew Tracy. She moved to California. You know the Tracy? She used to train here. And I'm like, no, who the heck's that? And then one year at the old Indio Horse Show, this beautiful girl comes up. I knew I had my foot up on the fence. I was putting a pair of spurs on, and she goes, hey, I got a horse for you to try. She goes, yeah. And I went, oh, God, I am in so much trouble because I fell madly in love with the record. Aww. 
Is that how you remember? remember. (laughs) I think I might have introduced myself. And then he said, are you the Tracy from Ohio? And it was funny because we had just missed each other. I had just moved to California, to L.A., and he had started, well, he had always gone back in the in the summers and showed in the Midwest. And so he ended up laying over at the farm, at Hugh and Cannon's farm, where I had a business. So we sort of crossed paths and then met in 2001 at the Old Indian. And then the rest got, is history. Yeah. You guys decided to start your own business together. and That no, came a little while later. No, she was... Uh... Tracy had started her biz, her present, the present business, and uh, because I was in love with her, I had to come back and chase her back here in California. So eventually, she decided I should probably help out a little bit. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's good. that's kind of true, actually. <laughs> um, yeah, we. I was already in LA. And the business was existing and it was growing. And then he started, he was around more and then we were getting married. And then it was just the natural mm-hmm. progression that we were going to do it together. It's yeah. Yeah. great. Well, thanks so much, you guys, for chatting with me today. I really appreciate it. Of course. It's been Thank a pleasure. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. And thanks again to the sponsor of this episode, Absorbing, makers of Shoshin. Learn more about Absorbing at Absorbing.com. And join us again in two weeks. Upcoming conversations are with top equitation hunter and jumper trainer Andre Dignelli, Olympic show jumper Laura Kraut, and World Equestrian Games team gold medalist Adrian Sternlicht. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please rate and review the show. I'm Jocelyn Pierce, and you've been listening to the Practical Horseman Podcast. <laughs>